This is WMPG. I'm Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space Radio, a show about courage, the courage to talk about the subjects that are the hardest to bring up, but that we think about the most. This month's series is on the untold stories of dementia, how we live with it in our loved ones, but also how we live with the fear of getting it ourselves. This month, for the first time, we are inviting you to contact us if you have a similar story that you would like to share. We're calling this new section of the show Echoing Stories, and we're going to be playing them toward the end of each series. So if you have an untold story about dementia, please email me at drannne at safespaceradio.com. And Dr. Ann is spelled D-R-A-N-N-E. So today is the third in the series on dementia. I spoke first with Pauline Boss about how the ambiguity of the loss in dementia makes the grieving process so complicated and leads to ambivalence and isolation in the caregiver. And then during our second interview, I spoke with Marishka Glisson about how dementia can actually help a relationship with a parent improve. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Julia Jarvis about her father's dementia and the challenge of trying to make peace with an already difficult parent. Julia Jarvis is the spiritual director for the Interfaith Families Project in Washington, D.C., the nation's largest shared religious community for couples with one Jewish and one Christian parent who are seeking to raise children with respect for both traditions. The Reverend Julie Jarvis specializes in offering creative weddings, and she's also in the process of becoming a certified focusing teacher. Julia is one of Bill's three children, and Bill is now in his seventh year of combined Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia, which is a kind of dementia characterized by lots of small strokes in succession, leading to cognitive decline. So welcome back to Safe Space, Julia. Thank you, Anne. Good to be here. I'd like to start by hearing a little bit about your father before he became ill and about the challenges that you had in your relationship with him. My father... um, pretty much for the most of our growing up years, was uh, quite emotionally dysregulated. He would have um, temper tantrums, and you never would know what was going to come from him as far as anger or some sort of punitive action on his part towards us. So there was a lot of walking on eggshells around him and trying to um, please him so that he wouldn't get angry. But even that didn't work. That wasn't um, foolproof. And um, he would punish us um, quite severely. When you say punish, what what kind of thing are you talking about? He would... Um, beat us with a butcher knife. Um, Mm. There were quite a few beatings and um, just very, very strict behaviors we had to follow. Um, We were raised in the South. We were in the Baptist church, and my father was actually a a minister. And um, so we not only had to follow the strict guidelines of the church, um, but also he, the guidelines that he wanted us to follow. So needless to say that it was at times a very painful childhood. And just speaking for myself, my um, 
strong feelings begin to develop for him that were, you know, disrespect and um, couldn't wait to get out of the house. So when I was 16, I got my driver's license, and as soon as I could, um, left for college and, and really didn't go back to living with my parents. Um, and I would say after our after we were all out of the house, he he was able to soften a little bit in his temperament. And um, when my girls were born, I was clear with him that he would never um, ever punish them or um, touch them in a harsh way, or he would not be allowed to see them. So he was very clear about that. He also was. Um, Sexually, he did not know what his boundaries were and often was, um, he had many affairs while we were growing up and um, he he was um, implicitly, especially in, during my teen years, quite tried to um, be sexual with me and um, so that was also very painful. Um, and when you say he tried to, do you mean that you were able to rebuff him? Yes, as much as I could, yes. And he then, never, he, he never, um, it was more implicit, um, staring at me, and um, one time I was in the bathroom uh, taking a bath, and he wanted to come in, and I said no, and he came in anyway, and... Um, and that's when I was in my late teens. So just things like that where he was just, um, he didn't know his boundaries. And I had to tell him, even when I told him what the boundaries were, he he would, um, he would at times cross over the boundaries. So here you are, you have this father who kind of can be intrusive and inappropriate and at times frighteningly punitive. And I know that you now, you're, I hope it's okay to say, I know you're in your 50s, and that in your adult years, you worked hard to establish a healthy, respectful relationship with him. And I wonder, but really before he got dementia, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about how that was working before he became ill. Well, I think it had a lot to do with my um, twins. Yeah, I think the the birth of my twins gave him an opportunity to start over, to begin anew, so to speak. And he worked incredibly hard to build a different kind of relationship with his granddaughters that he didn't have with his own daughter and sons. And I... I'm incredibly grateful for his being able to do that as long as he could um, before he was diagnosed with dementia. And um, and my daughters have a respect for him. They have a love for him that often, and it, I've been um, envious of. Mm that they could have a relationship with him that I never had. It was gentle. 
it was peaceful it was um fun it was um they did a lot of singing together he was a musician and um it was a healthy relationship so it it was my chance to begin anew with him um cuz i could see that he could actually be a healthier person mm. and he could actually treat children respectfully so this all happens before he becomes ill. I mean, it sounds like in some ways his ability to be a good grandfather and to love your daughters and to help you as a mom softened a great deal of the tension, the animosity between you. And I wouldn't say a great deal. I would <laughs> say somewhat. Okay, fair enough. So then seven years ago, I understand he was diagnosed. And what were some of the early signs of his dementia? What did you see happening? Well, I didn't see too much. My mother actually, right before she died, she told me that um, she was actually seeing signs of forgetfulness and short-term memory loss. And she she spoke of her worry for him to me. And... um, said that he's going to need some care. And I I still really was not seeing any sign of dementia. And that's I think that's just because I wasn't living with him day to day. I can also imagine that his it must have been a very subtle because he actually remarried, did he not? Yes, he, he remarried. Um, my mother died in 2000. He and this friend of the family, they married around 2003, and they actually had several years, really good years together of traveling in Europe and um, buying uh, a new house together, and and things seemed to be going along fairly well. And so then he, you find out, did she call you to tell you, or how did you find out? I think it was slow. He, um, He also has diabetes, and he was beginning to have some vascular problems and um, they had to have several surgical procedures to um, help try to help improve his circulation and she was beginning to see see signs at that point and then especially the anesthesia I think was making things worse for him um, that he was just becoming very forgetful. She noticed that they were getting late bills. He he was the one that paid all the bills, so they were getting late bill notices in the mail, and she thought it was just because of the anesthesia and that within a year it would wear off, and actually it got much worse. So you mentioned a few minutes ago, you said that watching him be a good grandfather helped some, but it did not help with all of your animosity. And so I'm curious to know, I I know enough about you to know that you're someone who works so hard to repair ruptures in relationships. When you found out he had dementia, did you still have hopes for improving things between the two of you at that point? That's a good question. I, I didn't know what kind of person he would become in his dementia 
And actually, in some ways, he's become mm, the sexual, the kind of sensual, flirtatious stuff actually seemed to get more pronounced and um, exaggerated. So I was quite turned off by that. And then he started, um, part of his dementia has resulted in the sense that he feels like he's married to three or four women and sometimes six women. And so that hasn't helped. (laughs) (laughs) No. That hasn't helped at all. Um, So that must be very difficult for his wife to hear him talk like that. Oh, it is. He he thinks that she's his driver, and that his wives are out working. And uh, sometimes he believes um, that she's his wife, but um, it's very painful for her. Um, right. So here you are, having had this history with him of being sexually inappropriate, and now he's, if anything just as bad if not more so so yeah he's not he's not uh, acting out on any of that it's just all in his mind right but as i can imagine it sort of reminds you of all the all the worst things that it it doesn't foster reconciliation shall we say no and i realize he has dementia so i'm not faulting him it just it just triggers some of the painful, more painful times I've had with him. I think I was hoping in his demented state a more, um, I guess, a really different person. Mm. And and it's kind of shocking to see that, I guess, to see him like this, kind of desperate and worrying about where his other wives are and... How is it in terms of his anger and his unpredictable moodiness? Where is that now? Well, I was just reading the, um, he he attends this, he goes to this memory care clinic where he lives, and I was reading the doctor's notes, and the doctor describes him as a lovely person. And was so struck by that I and I can see how my dad can come across as even in his demented state how he can be a lovely person and um, <laughs> I I am not seeing the anger anymore the, the good thing is is I don't feel scared of him in fact Last fall, I went to visit him and um, brought my dog, and he said, I think your dog will need to stay in the basement. And I said, I think my dog will stay with me in my in the bedroom. And he didn't say anything else after that. So I, I feel the empowerment that I can tell him no, you know, and I can speak to him my truth. Whereas for years and years, I could not do that. And he's okay with it. And, you know, instead of hitting me or kicking me out of the house, he's he's more passive. And so when you say, you know, I'm no longer afraid of him, how much of that do you think is the dementia? And how much of that is 
the the work that you've done like do you think that might have been true even if he didn't have dementia yes i was already beginning to work on that on, on being able to tell him my truth before the dementia was diagnosed mm-hmm. and um and i feel even more empowered to do that now with him but and whether or not he gets it i don't know um in this last year, um, I realize he's he's dying, and he's now lost most all of his toes and half of his foot, largely because of the diabetes and the vascular problems. And um, I think his death will be slow because his other organs are pretty healthy. His major organs are. Um, that I've just, it struck me that my, I am so sad that I'm not sad about his dying. I was so grief struck by my mother's dying and death. Um, I don't feel that way about my father. It feels so alien to not have grief for his dying. If anything, it's more like a relief. Mm. Um, maybe it's a relief on many levels. It's a relief from his his wife, his caretaker, who's just completely exhausted by it all. And she no longer is married to the man that she initially married. Um, and relief that he no longer has to suffer or lose any more limbs or and I can imagine for you relief in some ways that the complication of losing someone to dementia, you know, that you have, that it's done in a certain way. It's such a hard, it's a hard thing to even say this, but it is, it's such a difficult illness. There's relief when there's clarity. Does that resonate for you as opposed to this kind of half here, half not here? Yeah. That he is? Yeah, actually, when you say that, I have a big big breath of of kind of naming that he is half here you know he mostly sits and watches tv all day and he doesn't even he doesn't even know the difference between tv and real life he actually thinks whatever's happening on tv is happening in real life um and that makes it also very hard for his wife I think dementia is, is such an unusual illness in the sense that so much loss happens before the person actually dies. So that yeah. by the time they actually die, so much grieving has already happened. Yeah. I mean, I think I've grieved the lack of a healthy father for many years. Mm. And seeing him in his demented state I mean, I have, I do have some compassion for him for his, for just losing limbs and for not knowing really who he is or who he's married to, and um, and I have more compassion for my stepmother. I'm definitely more of her support than his support. I am there for her so that she can be there for him. I wondered, you know, with someone like your dad, who was such a complicated father, 
whether there was any part of you that thought, you know, I'm not going to get involved in helping care for him. He doesn't deserve it. It's such a mixed bag. I mean, I'm just—I just read again on these on the notes that the doctor made that um, that the the wife of of Bill states that the daughter will be there to help care for him if needed. And I read that and I went, "Oh no, mm. <laughs> I don't remember saying that." And it's. It scared me. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine taking care of him. I mean, I really get what I can do is take care of her, and I'm seeing that she's beginning, her will to do all this is beginning to lessen. She's just exhausted. So I think it will, because both my brothers are fairly dismissive one brother is completely out of the picture he wants nothing to do with him he wants he doesn't even want to know when when dad dies he doesn't even want to know about it and the other brother's just marginally involved so i am the main person and how do you understand that is that because it's so often the case that the daughter is the one who does a lot of the caregiving for parents with dementia. Do you understand it because of gender assumptions? How do you understand that that your brothers have excused themselves so much from this? And do they talk to you about that? One won't even talk to me. I think he was the one that was the most wounded by my father. And for him, my father's already dead, so he's done with it. And that's that's what he needs to do for his own health, at least. That's his perspective. Um, the other brother, I think, is just working himself 12 hours a day, and that's how he deals with <laughs> um, what's going on, I think. And And he would be there if I needed him to be there. There is something about, I guess, duty or doing the right thing that it it's mostly, it's not for my dad, it's more for my stepmother of wanting to do the right thing for her because I love her. And so it's a combination of love and duty that gets me up that mountain. You know, it sounds like one thing your father was able to do well was to be a good grandfather. And that that indirectly in some ways was a gift to you, that your daughters could have that. Did your brothers have that experience of him? My my twin brother had it a little bit with um, the first granddaughter, and um, my other brother didn't have any children. So, And is he the one that's completely out of touch? Yeah. Huh. Do you do you wonder if that's part of it that there was sort of an intergenerational, like a little bit of healing that could happen because of, of having a child that in a way your brother couldn't have? Yeah, I I do. It is a it, it is again that begin a new fresh start that my dad really tried so hard with his three granddaughters to to build a different kind of relationship, and I think you're right. I think it was brought about a little bit of healing it 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 
created a bridge that we could walk towards each other again in a new way. I want to close with one one last question, which is about the kind of almost, I think of it as a relentless hope that I think many of us have that somehow if we work on things hard enough, we can have a place of healing or reconciliation with a parent. And I think people often live with that until their parent dies, you know, keeping on trying to, maybe if we try to talk about it this way, you know, to keep healing it. Do you still have that? Or do you feel like at some level, maybe mostly because of his illness, that you've let that go? You sort of decided that this is what it's going to be? Where are you with that? Yeah, great question. I feel like I've made peace with him um, you know before I could excuse his behaviors because of his own deep childhood wounds now I can excuse his behaviors because of his dementia and um, I want him to leave this world um, with peace and um, and I got that far, and that felt really good. Um, I don't feel like I love him. I feel like he brought me into this world, and he closed me, and he gave me some opportunities, and I carry his part of his DNA inside of me, and. And my girls got a new shot with him and um, felt loved by him, and they love him. And that's good enough for me. All of that combined, I feel like it's it's been um, healed. My job now is just to be there for my stepmother, and that feels really right and really clear. And I'm very grateful for that. So what is one follow-up question? When you say it's been healed, how do you know? Because I don't, um, I don't worry about it anymore. I can't change him, and I especially can't change him now in his demented state. I can't. I tried to even convince him he doesn't have six wives. <laughs> and then I said, well, Dad, this is what you've always wanted. <laughs> and, lucky guy. Yeah, you've got it now. You've got what you wanted. And um, I don't know. There's more of just uh, carrying it with a much lighter heart. I think we're we're moving towards the last year, years of his life, and it's just a letting go. I don't worry about it. I don't have sleepless nights over it anymore. I'm, I'm, I feel done. I feel, it feels complete. Now, I'm not going to know, you know, should I get a call in a week's time or in six months' time to say his death is close by? Um, I'll let you know then mm-hmm. how that will feel. Maybe we can do a follow-up check-in interview together. Yeah. We're thinking about doing that on the show, so maybe that would be a great chance to do that. I'd love that. So, Julia, how do people find you? Having 
heard you, if someone is interested in having you do a wedding for them or maybe even interested in focusing, following up on some of the work that you do, how can they find you? I have a website, um, Rev, R-E-V, Julia Jarvis.com. That's how you can reach me. Well, Julia, thank you so much for being my guest on Safe Space. As usual, it is such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Ann. This is WMPG. I've been talking to Julia Jarvis about the challenges of connecting with a difficult parent after they get dementia. If you have a story about dementia and how a difficult relationship with a parent has evolved since your parents' illness, if you want to tell your story in the hope of helping others, please email me at drann at safespaceradio.com. And Dr. Ann is D-R-A-N-N-E. Also, if you only got to hear part of this interview and you'd like to hear the rest of it or you'd like to email the link to a friend, please go to our website at safespaceradio.com where you can listen to this interview, the whole series on dementia as it happens, and all the previous shows. And you can subscribe there to get a weekly link to the show. You can download us from iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. My thanks today to Gabe Graben for producing the show, Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound, Maurice Lennon for the music, Jim Russell for consulting with us. Coming up next is Speak Freely.